There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 14th of September. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m., this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Rank and file Gardaí made history yesterday with a huge majority voting no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. The question posed to the membership was Do you have confidence in the Garda Commissioner? The number of ballot papers issued was 10,803. Of this number, of valid votes returned was 9,129, which marks an unprecedented return level of 84.5% of our members. Of these 9,129, 116 answered yes, they have confidence. 9,013 of those polled answered no, which is 98.7% that they do not have confidence and Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. That's the General Secretary of the Garda Representative Association. Ronan Slevin had this message for government. The Taoiseach and Minister for Justice must now listen to ordinary frontline rank and file Gardaí. This result proves that the Commissioner has lost the confidence of the overwhelming majority of the force. Management in the form of government need, now needs to urgently intervene and make changes to help improve overall employee well-being and morale and provide the public with the policing service that they deserve. It is our position that until this is done and the entire list of issues that we have previously raised are addressed and resolved, there should be no changes to the roster situation or any specialised units depleted, redeployed or disbanded to accommodate this. We have stated from the outset that the decision to ballot members was not prompted by a single issue, but by an exhaustive list of concerns within the ranks of Angarda Shikana. The General Secretary of uh, the Garda Representative Association, Ronan Slevin, there. Now let's speak to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who joins us on the line. Good morning, Minister. Thank you indeed for joining us. You can't argue with the result. 99% of rank-and-file Garda have no confidence in the Garda Commissioner. It's remarkable, but I'm sure you won't argue that it was surprising. Well, look, I mean, I've said this, um, I said it yesterday, I, I think it's regrettable that the vote has taken place. The Commissioner himself has said, um, obviously, this was 
a blow to him. Um, you know, this was a matter that the GRA have said resolved mainly around the issues of rosters. And I think, you know, with any matter like that, that's an industrial relations matter, the best way to try and resolve it is by sitting around the table, by either, you know, having an internal mechanism within the Gardaí to try and resolve it, or by using the, the mechanisms there that are available through the state. And in this instance, it's obviously the WRC. So the vote yesterday, while, you know, again, there was a huge turnout and, and um, there was a very clear message at the same time it, it, it doesn't change the fact that in order to address the problems or the concerns here people still have to get around the table people still have to talk and I think that's the most appropriate course of action mm. here and, and that's always the most appropriate course mm-hmm. of action But you, you know that there are plenty of other issues uh, that the Gardaí have a problem with Absolutely and, and I mean I know that myself I know probably one of the biggest issues at the moment is recruitment um, and I know that because I'm, I'm in and out of stations every week I talk to Garda members, everybody from the, the newest recruit to the chief superintendents and in between. And I can see that, you know, there's a huge amount of work that they have. It's a very difficult job that they do and they need more. They need more colleagues. And, and that's why it's my number one priority at the moment, uh, making sure that we get as many members in, but also making sure that we keep the members that are there. And the only way that you do that is by making sure that it's a job that people are happy to do, that they they have the right resources, they have the right equipment, that there's investment and that all of these supports are there. So, I mean, these are always matters that I'm working on, not just at budget time, which is obviously coming up now in the next few weeks, but all year round, there's always matters that can be addressed. And, you know, I appreciate there are there are issues that members have at the Mm. moment and and I'm doing everything that I can. And I feel as though many members are being treated unfairly because of suspensions uh, and we could spend another 10 minutes going through the list of concerns that Gardaí have, uh, but they hold Drew Harris, as you say, personally responsible for that as a result of how they feel. They voted no confidence in the commissioner. Uh, If the chief of police has lost command, can he continue in his role? Well, I believe that he can and he has my continued uh, support in that regard and that of government. And I point to the fact that the GRA, while they have, I believe, personalised this, they are still saying that this is about rosters, that this is about a number of issues that they have. And I mean, voting no confidence in somebody on a matter that should be resolved through an industrial relations mechanism. If you think of disputes that have happened within the health system, within education, the way, to always resol- the way to always resolve that and the way it's always been resolved, some of the most difficult scenarios has been through people getting around the table and, and you know, trashing it through and coming to a conclusion and there'll always be compromise on both sides, but that is the way that you actually get to an end point here. Uh, and I think a motion of no confidence doesn't change that. So I would be encouraging, and I have said this all along, that this is what needs to happen next. The Commissioner himself said yesterday he is very open to sitting down and talking, as he has mm. said all along, and, and I genuinely believe that but he that has, is But he hasn't, Minister, sorry, sorry to cut across here. you, he hasn't uh, up to now, and he's had plenty of opportunity, and that's why the Gardaí, or one of the reasons why the Gardaí have lost confidence in the Commissioner. Do you accept he's lost his authority? Well, the Commissioner has always said, and, and not just to me privately, but publicly, that he is well willing to sit down and to engage, that has never changed. So I appreciate there may be 
a different view on that, but but he has said that quite publicly all along. He is willing to sit down and to engage with them. But as um, I understand, again, Minister, the, the most last appropriate I'm course of action I, here. I, again, sorry to cut across you, Minister, but as I understand it, the last time the Commissioner sat down with uh, the GRA, uh, he wasn't for turning. Uh, the uh, members of the GRA felt that the commissioner didn't uh, meet them to listen to their concerns. He he met them to tell them that there will be no change, that the rosters will be changed and implemented as planned in, in November. Well, look, I, I'm not party to meetings, obviously, that I wasn't uh, a part of. But at the same time, if there was a discussion as to whether or not the rosters will change, that's one thing. But to actually look at a new roster, which is what the GRA are saying they want to have. The Commissioner, I think, has made clear as well that this new roster is not, you know, a roster that would be put in place forever, but that he is open as they want to engage and negotiate a new roster. I mean, what we're talking about is the fact that Gardaí are working currently on what is a COVID roster. They're working on COVID shifts, and that means, uh, you know, they're still working in a way where there isn't an overlap in shifts shifts where, you know, people are working so that they don't engage in certain ways with each other. And that's how it has to be to keep people safe during COVID. But what he is proposing is to go back to a roster that was worked for many, many years pre-COVID, but that there would be continued engagement to try and put in place something new and something different and something that everybody can agree with. And I think it's important that that is the role for the Commissioner working with the membership, not for me, not for anybody else, because it is the management in Angarda Siakana who know when Gardaí, you know, when they're needed, when they should be working, how you can have the most effective on Gardaí Siakana. And that's what the negotiations have been for the last number of years. They have not managed to reach a conclusion, but the only way that you reach a conclusion is by sitting down around the table. And I, I know I sound like I'm repeating mm, myself, mm, but mm, this really is mm. the only appropriate course of action at this stage in order to resolve it. Um, okay. And I do hope in the coming weeks that that's exactly what will happen. And in fact, I, I'm sure that that will happen because the Commissioner has said as recently as yesterday, you know, I want to sit down, I want to engage with you, I want to talk about this. Do you believe that you have a, a role in this, Minister, uh, because there's a, a lack of confidence, uh, I take it, uh, trust has broken down, uh, and indeed it seems like the Commissioner has been usurped, he's lost his authority, he's been undermined by members of his own force. Does this require mediation at uh, the level that you hold as the Minister for Justice? Well, where I see my role in this, and, you know, as I've said, I don't see my role as being the person to sit down and say, this is what a roster should look like and this is what you need to agree. It should never be the role of any Minister for Justice to do that. However, what my role here is, is saying there is very clearly two mechanisms. There are a number of mechanisms where there can be a discussion, where there can be engagement internally, where you have a mediator, where people sit down and they try and find a course and a path that is suitable. Or you have the WRC, which is a state body that is there or a mechanism for decades that has resolved these type of matters because this is essentially an employer and an employee dispute that has escalated, I would say, and has mm. you know become very personal. But the matters at hand, which the GRA have Again, that is recently today and, and yesterday, this is about rosters, this is about, you know, matters that they want addressed. And there are other issues that I obviously play a part in, as I've said, whether it's recruitment and retention or, you know, matters when it comes to the budget and how I can provide funding, additional resources. I'm always there to engage and to work through and to support them in that and working with the commissioner as well. But for this type of industrial action, 
you know, there are options here. I'm saying those options mm. are available to them. I'm saying those options, you know, they're there and people should take them up. Mm. But for me to sit down and chair a meeting as to what a roster should look like, that that's not my role, nor should it ever be. There are structures there available to them. And I really hope that that is the course of action that can be taken in the coming weeks. I heard you say yesterday that you didn't meet with uh, members of the GRA whilst the ballot was underway because that felt inappropriate to you. Will you meet with uh, the GRA before any of these other options open to them now? What you've just been talking about, the WRC or sitting down around the table and having talks uh, with the commissioner, uh, will you meet with the GRA independently in advance of any of those things happening? Look, I, I'm happy to meet with them. I'm happy to meet with them in the coming days, in the coming weeks. Um, and I've said very clearly why I hadn't met with them in the last few months. You know, I, I think the course of action, I, I didn't agree. I thought it was personalising what was an industrial relations dispute. Um, and it was for those reasons that we haven't met. I will always meet with the associations in general, and I tend to meet with all four together. You have the superintendents, you have the chief superintendents, you have ADSI, which is the uh, sergeants and inspectors, and then you have the GRA. And I always make sure that I meet with them together independently, obviously, but at the same time that no one gets more time or, or, or uh, is not treated in the same way mm-hmm. fairly. But the course of action that was taken, I felt, was highly personalised uh, and it would not resolve the matter at hand here. But I'm very happy to meet with them, be it in the coming days or in the coming weeks. That's uh, a, a standalone, again, just, very, just, very, very clearly. just to clarify, that's uh, to meet independently with uh, the GRA and none of uh, the other representative associations to yes, discuss independently, yes, to independently. discuss specifically the outcome of the vote. Well, I mean, what I would say to them is what I'm saying to you very publicly. The matter that they have very clearly said this vote was about is is rosters. I cannot as minister dictate what a roster should look like, nor should I. But what I would be saying to them very clearly in any meeting is that you need to sit down around the table. We need to see this resolved through dialogue. It's the only way this matter can be resolved. There are other issues that they probably would and will and will always raise, as I said, whether it's recruitment and retention, whether it's Mm. financial support through the budget. and, And I'm always very happy to sit down and meet and to discuss those matters, but specifically on the issue of rosters, yeah. it has to be resolved through dialogue. It has to be resolved through dialogue. It is the only way that this matter can be resolved. And if the guards tell you uh, that they have other options that they're considering that you haven't presented uh, uh, here uh, as yet, uh, such as industrial action, ghost lows, strike action, um, what would your response be to that? My response to that is what does that achieve? Because at the end of the day, if you look at any industrial dispute, any you know type of action like that, it concludes by people sitting around the table. And when you have the commissioner saying, I'm happy to sit down to discuss this, to negotiate, industrial action to me would seem, you know, that happens where people are not willing to talk, where people have come to a crossroads, but where people are willing to sit down and engage, then there should be no need for that. You know, and, and I'm not dismissing, you know, again, the fact that I'm, I'm in stations every week. I, I talk to people. I ask them all the time, you know, what's going on? How is work? What more can I be doing as minister? So understand that there are issues there that people have and that they want addressed. But you can only address them by sitting down. And when the commissioner who's head of the organisation has said, I'm here and I'm willing to sit down, 
I think any other course of action would not actually deliver results. It wouldn't change the fact that at the end of the day, people have to sit down around the table. Um, and I really hope, you know, I, I don't see why it would ever get to that situation. We're mm. not at that point. I think everybody needs to have, you know, a look at where we're at. What are we trying to achieve? What are the issues at hand here? Yeah. How do we resolve them? Well, and we're close to it. We're, we're, we're close to it, Minister, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it looks like we're close to it because the Guardies seem to be saying there's been a stalemate. Uh, they voted no confidence in the commissioner. Uh, and I, I just wonder uh, at this stage, uh, what will happen if they go down the industrial action route? Uh, is there the prospect of disciplinary action against members of the force if that is something they decided to do? Well, what I would say is we're not at that point and all avenues haven't been exhausted. I mean, there has not been engagement with the WRC. So while there is other options there to, again, engage internally, and that has gone on for a number of years. And as you said, it has not yielded the results. You know, we don't have a solution here at the moment. But there is a state mechanism that has dealt with some of the most challenging matters in, in decades um, in the history of this state. And solutions have been found. And I, we haven't actually got to that point. So I would not see, I, I don't see why it would get to a situation where people needed to ballot for that type of action when every course of action prior to that had not been exhausted. That is what happens in every other kind of dispute. You know, you don't ever want to get to that point. You want to resolve a matter before it gets to that stage. But that is why the WRC was established. That's why these mechanisms were put in place where you reach a stalemate, where you can't come to a a conclusion together with mediators, with internal processes. We haven't gotten to that point. And I really, you know, I, I don't believe it should get to, nor it needs to get to that stage. But, you know, I'm for my part, will continue to make sure that I'm absolutely focused on recruitment, on retention. We have an upcoming budget. I will be doing everything I can in my engagement with Minister Donoghue to make sure that the resources are there, not just for the Gardaí, but all of the, the members who work within the justice system that I'm responsible for, but of course for the Gardaí as well. Uh, and, you know, I want people listening to know that, that, that I'm working with them and supporting them. But I also believe that the Commissioner is working to support them and working on their behalf too uh, and I think the most appropriate course of action here is for people to sit down to look at what the matters are and to try and work a way through it. Okay, Minister, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, a couple of text messages coming to us uh, this morning looking for Helen McEntee's head. One says that the opposition need to have a vote of no confidence in Helen McEntee as the Justice Minister. Our streets are unsafe. People feel unsafe in their homes and the buck stops with her. Helen out of office now, says our caller. A WhatsApp message from somebody who says Hi Michael, she should go with the Commissioner. She does and care about the guards, get her out. Who would want to be a guard in this country? Thank you indeed. If you have been in touch, our telephone number is, as always, 0419832000. You can make a comment on the programme today by texting your message to us or WhatsApping us on 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, as I'm sure you know, RTE, we're back in the dock yesterday in front of members of the Oroctus Media Committee. And there were some lessons that we learned from what we heard from the executives who appeared there yesterday. One is that RTE is under a lot of pressure. It's losing a lot of money uh, and there's going to have to be change. Well, maybe you knew all of that, but the scale of it all became somewhat apparent. We'll hear just a little bit from that hearing yesterday. The first voice you're going to hear 
now is that of their financial controller, Mike Fives. Our initial strategy is around a hiring freeze. It's around production. But if there isn't a solution found, whether that's an increase in sales or, you know, interim funding, uh, we will we will obviously need to cut back on spend. It's the non-committed spend is where we'll be able to do that, whether that's commission programmes, whether that's the level of output that we have in news. It, it's all these can, things that are for... Yeah. for and can I ask the, D, the DG, uh, like, has RT a backup plan or a contingency plan if the interim funding falls short than what is anticipated? Uh, I think I would... We, have a, we are working on next year, but the scale of this um, financial challenge is such that, as Mike's just explained... Um, significant amount of our costs are set costs uh, and our people. Um, so we have limited room for manoeuvre. Limited room for manoeuvre. That's uh, the Director General, Kevin Backhurst. Uh, we also heard Mike Fives and they were responding to questions from Fine Gael TD, Alan Dillon. Let's speak now to Paul Allen once again about this. Paul is a PR professional who worked for RTE for some 15 years. He was working in TV Sound. He was a continuity announcer and worked in the newsroom at RTE as a journalist. Good morning to you, Paul, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, that must have sounded very scary to staff at RTE yesterday, but the scale of losses are incredible. As things stand, they're looking at a deficit at the end of this year of €28 million. Euro, and that's presuming, I suppose, people start buying their TV licences or renewing them in between now and then. Mike, good morning and good morning to the listener. May I say, and I don't wish to scare the listener, uh, you're not even in the halfpenny place in relation to the amount of money RTE owe. Um, I would be going north of 55 million in terms of getting the show on the road. But, uh, may I just say, uh, to paint a picture to the listener as well, um, imagine being in Toy Town. Toy Town makes uh, an arrangement that a radio station, television can set up many, many years ago, and generations of folk from Toy Town decide to pay their, their license fee. In addition to that, the TV and radio station can actually look for additional funds from advertising. And after generations of people paying, they have no money. So where has the money gone? So it's very serious in relation to what's going on. And what we heard yesterday, I'd almost encourage the nurse to pull the screens because it's going to get very, very nasty. I spoke to staff last night. They're extremely worried about the future of the broadcaster. The broadcaster is rapidly running out of money. And as we do this radio program this morning, there will be a number of people, researchers, producers, running around with cups of coffee. Each radio program will have a, if I can call it a galley of newspapers, all the British tabloids, all the British broadsheets, Irish papers, all delivered to each radio producer. They will be assessing what topic to feature in addition to this story. Um, and there will be a lot of cups, cups of coffee and tea and buns served. So it's mm. almost like they are on the Titanic. They are cutting the crust off the toast and they're cutting, they're cutting back on the sugar and the chocolates that go with the lovely coffee. But in the meantime, they're heading into an iceberg. It's very, very serious, Mike. Do you think they have actually grasped how serious it is. There was a, a remarkable story in the Irish Examiner on Tuesday. You asked there a moment ago, where has all the money gone? And we know about the flip-flops and Soho House and all the revelations uh, over uh, the summer. But that story in the Examiner on Tuesday told us about how they're recruiting a photographer. This is a photographer that will be paid 
€240,000 to take a minimum of 16 approved still photographs a week on the Fair City show. These are still images from the soap opera that they can use in advertising and so on. Uh, This... (laughs) to me is beyond belief because they have the reels surely they can stop the reels and use that as a photograph rather than spending 240,000 euro on it they could do it for nothing I'm very concerned I hope my application will be not thrown in the bin if I comment in relation to that like that's an absolute farce 80 grand a year to take photographs of course they can stop the reels it's all digital it's like you pausing one of your Netflix scenes from The Sopranos and sending it to a pal it's easily done. But unfortunately, this is not making sense. They are still splurging money as, as if they're still on the Titanic. They're dancing the hoochie coochie mm. and the iceberg is on the way. Well, it sounded to me Yes, I don't know about you, Paul, uh, but it sounded to me that the assumption is uh, that people will start paying their TV license. Uh, and that may be because they have to. They've no choice uh, that instead of buying a TV license, it'll be taken from their wage packets through revenue or some other means. Uh, and the government will bail them out. Well, I noticed yesterday Kevin Beckhurst, he's only a few days in the job and he's under a bit of pressure. He was the one who was doing all the talking. He nudged the politicians and saying the political conferences are coming up along the line. Uh, We may have to cut back in relation to that. Uh, And as somebody who's been politically active for years, uh, both in working in RTE and obviously working uh, in a sense with this, uh, these these big shows that go on, many of them, and may I say to some of my colleagues, uh, would have jumped into a car, three or four of them would have driven down to maybe Kerry or uh, Cork or you know Limerick, wherever these events are on. They all would have just uh, had one person driving, but when they came back to Dublin, they all would have filled out forms to say that they drove down independently and they would have got their car allowance and they would have got their finance. Uh, In this real world, that's stealing. You cannot do that. That's not on. Uh, And it's just, it's it's extremely serious. And talking to staff last night, uh, they're talking about possibly a strike because there's, there's no future on the horizon. And it's the little people the tiny people that are just starting their career, they are the runner. They are the ones that are running for cups of coffee and buns for these people. They're the ones who are going to be penalized. Mm. Uh, and, and just to say, uh, in a broadcasting sense, uh, each and every one of us could do cutbacks. Look at the TV news output. Do you need two people to read the news for 40 minutes or 20 minutes? You don't need to do that. Do you need to do, you know, the certain things that you can cut back dramatically. But in terms of the buns, the newspapers, it, it's slightly crazy. They're going to spend and spend and spend, hoping that the government will bail them out. Mm. I, I think you're right. Uh, I certainly felt uh, the same way that there was a uh, very thinly veiled threat made to politicians in what Kevin Backhurst was saying yesterday. I mean, if you look at the Fianna Fáil thinking this week, the publicity for Fianna Fáil has been incredible. And of course, it's Fianna Fáil who's setting the agenda. It's not journalists asking Fianna Fáil questions about their policies or putting them under scrutiny. It's Fianna Fáil making announcements and getting a lot of time and publicity on all of the media outlets as a result. And I think that's the objective of these think-ins. But if RTE are are going to stop covering the think-ins, which was the implied threat, uh, it's like RTE is saying to the politicians, uh, your turkeys, are you going to vote for Christmas? Well, the... Wake-up call is that since uh, radio stations and uh, 
TV station or out there. There's other media out there. So you don't have to be holding to the state broadcaster. It is the state broadcaster. Uh, and the state broadcaster is very mindful of next year and the next three years. There are elections coming down the pipe. So don't uh, annoy the likes of you and I. And at the end of the day, it's our hard-earned money. Uh, so it, it's it's one of those things that, that is very serious. But if I may just explain, mm. everybody's talking about Montrose. Montrose is a fantastic sprawling uh, estate. Uh, on one side is the radio centre. At the back of that is the Ferris City Studio. They have car parking facilities, um, beautifully manicured lands. Uh, then they have the administration building, which was once known as the Hilton. That was only for the administration staff. You were never allowed in there. Then there's the TV block. The TV block is there with the studios, world-class facilities. And then they have the mass that we would all see from miles away. The situation is that broadcasting has dramatically changed. We could broadcast <clears throat> under the stairs if we wanted. You don't need to have these sprawling spaces. And I said on your program before, they could very easily move to Fingal, Mead, Loud, mm. move out of town. Um, and then just on a radio program there yesterday, somebody was saying, but the politicians would find it very hard. No, no, don't worry. They'll beat a path to your door in relation to what's going on. But it's in a very serious situation. The, the debts are mounting. They're simply playing with figures. But we're up to 50, 55 million in terms of what's happening. OK, and if you look at the lush corridors and indeed the fine grounds that are on Montrose and compare them uh, to what Virgin Media is working out of, which is essentially a warehouse in the Ballymount Industrial Estate, uh, they just do not compare yet Virgin Media seems well capable of producing all types of very good programming, much of which would compare with RTEs. And that applies to current affairs. Uh, I don't know uh, what people think, but I would think that the Tonight Show is as good, if not better, than anything that RTE produces. I certainly would agree with you. And when you go out to Virgin place is exploding with enthusiasm and passion from young staff who are excited to be being program makers. It is terrific. And also, they are putting on programs that people want to watch. Uh, stuff that RTE is putting on, I don't know when the last time they did research, but there's only so many times you can watch the same repeat. I think they had Super Garden on last night before the news. Uh, I think that's been on for donkey's years. Uh, so it's a great program, but you know, stop repeating that sort of thing. Um, RTE were very clever before the thing happened yesterday. They uh, dumped a load of documents to the various committee members in, in order to deal with this. Um, one of the documents mentioned about uh, Ryan Tuberty, mm. um, and it said that he would be pay, he would pay the one hundred and fifty thousand back he owes if allowed back on the radio. Now, as as Kevin Backer said, that's a very much a moral case to deal with. And if I may tell you a very private story, my poor late dad passed away. A few weeks later, we got a note from the Department of Social Welfare saying we overpaid your dad's pension by five or six weeks. Uh, you owe us the money. I immediately transferred the money back rather than have my father's legacy destroyed by owing money to the mm. state. So that was cleared off. Okay. Poor Ryan, he needs, he needs to pay the money back. Yeah. Does he? Uh, and therein lies a legal question. There's another legal question as well. And there's a dispute, obviously, uh, about his contract and whether he should be on the radio now or not. It, it appears RTE is saying, no, he shouldn't be. Uh, and uh, Mr. Tuberty, through his solicitors, appears to be arguing otherwise. The details on that in the meeting were scant yesterday, but it's quite possible reading between the lines that there will be some legal action. Maybe the case, so we better be careful what we say. But in the context of the moral dilemma you're in, it's it's like taxation. There's a smell factor. Just pay your taxes. In this case, Ryan, just pay your money. 
you know, you're a fine broadcaster. You're, you're the voice of the nation, the voice of the children, whatever it was we were saying back in June in relation to the tribunal or the tribunal of inquiries, uh, the committee, I should say, not the tribunal of inquiry, the committees. Um, so just, just, just pay the funds back, and uh, and you know, you can uh, reignite your your career in a few years' time. I'm sure Pat Kenny will, uh, who's doing great work on News Talk, will be retiring eventually. Um, and there's a perfect slot there if he doesn't get a job in the UK or the US. But in terms of the money, it's our money, the taxpayers' money. Please pay it back. Paul, thank you indeed, as always, for joining us this morning. Paul Allen is a PR professional who worked for RTE for 15 years in TV sound, continuity and in the newsroom as a journalist. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Very interesting text from John Conlon and Bally McKenney who says if uh, the Late Late Show stopped one for everyone in the audience, they'd save a fortune. Uh, he says that's all half of the audience go for. Thanks uh, for that, John. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that they'd save anything at all because I, I don't think when they give stuff away to everyone in the audience that it costs them a penny. I think what that actually is is an over-glorified ad so that you're watching at home and you're thinking, they're all getting one of them. I want one of them. What a fantastic ad. And that's what they do. They probably charge for it. I don't know. But uh, thanks for your message, John. Uh, we'd uh, text from somebody who says Helen McIntyre needs to sort out Navin as soon as possible. She says she's contacted businesses in Navin and has 200 businesses on board. Bear Collar says uh, they don't know what uh, that is all about because they've never been contacted by the Minister or anyone from her office and if over 900 Gardaí have no confidence in Drew Harris what's the point in sitting around the table the Commissioner is dead in the water we've another message then about RTE from someone who says I won't be paying my TV licence which I always did while my family struggled by and they're running around wasting and enjoying TV licence money Mount Joy here I come I don't care says our caller thank you indeed dear says what's going on with RTE and Ryan Turbidy not paying the money back is a disaster some text messages uh, then uh, just one actually for the moment uh, from somebody uh, applauding Paul Allen who we were speaking there uh, to there a moment ago saying uh, the best speaker I've heard about RTE in a long time he absolutely nailed it thank you very much indeed our phone number 0419832000 text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Now to a cry for help from Anne who texted us yesterday saying I write in desperation as a mother of six children one of whom is a 26 year old quite talented young man who is suffering from survival syndrome due to childhood trauma resulting unfortunately in addiction. He's trying his utmost to find a place to rehabilitate He's found himself homeless staying in DHA Drogheda, which is costing him €100 a week. That comes out of his job seekers allowance, which is €120 a week. He's now out on the streets of Drogheda, cold and hungry, as one week he couldn't make his rent. Firstly, he was told he could go back in three days, only to find on arrival he was told he was suspended for one month, leaving him no choice but to sleep on the streets. Is he going to become another statistic, another Irish citizen dead on the streets of his own country. I am heartbroken. I do not know where to turn. Please, 
please, please listen to my plea before it is too late. He's been let down badly by psychiatric services and the HSE. This is a young lad crying out to go into rehab for help. He's also high risk of suicide. Could you please point me in the right direction or to somebody who can help? As I say, that's a text that came to us yesterday from Anne in Dundalk. Uh, I phoned Anne uh, shortly afterwards and Anne has been telling me a little bit more about her son. He's 25, going on 26 in October. Um, He's suffering really bad with um, addiction and finding it hard to come off it. But um, he's begging for help um, to help with it. He's using heroin, is it? Uh, heroin among tablets as well. Um, okay. He's on diazepam now. It's prescribed by the doctor because um, he was taking fits um, after uh, he overdosed twice okay. in the Simon and Dundalk. Mm. And he had to be revived. He was gone for 15 minutes. Right. Um. So they got him back anyway and he ended up in the Lourdes where he got good treatment up there and the nurses were great with him and he, they got him into the DHA in Drogheda then where I think it's just going from bad to worse really because he's, you know, he's among other addicts. Right. That's the homeless shelter in Drogheda. The homeless shelter in, in Drogheda, yeah. yeah. But, but, but he's living on the streets at the moment, is he? He is, yeah, he's on the streets. Um, okay. They put him out because he missed a week's rent. Um, I, I contacted them myself and I was talking to a man, I didn't get his name. He um, he said if he comes back on Monday, he would be allowed back in. But when he arrived there, um, they told him it was, he, his bed was suspended for a month. Right. So he has no one to turn to. He went to the council and he's getting no, nowhere with them either. Okay. You have five other children. Uh, and I have, yeah. You, you're, you're worried about him coming back into the house uh, because they'd be in contact with the drugs. Yeah, that, yeah, and the fear as well as if he runs up a bill with anyone, you see, I can't take the chance of of it coming back to our house. You know. Yeah. Mm. They've been, they, we've been struggling with this addiction mm. um, since oh, since he was twelve. Right. How long has he been using? Since since eleven or twelve. Really. He started off. He started off on um, weed. Mm. And then just turned on to the, went on mm. to the heavier drugs then. Okay. And you haven't been able to talk sense to him. Uh, I mean, he hasn't been listening to you. He's continued to use all that time. Yeah, he has. Yeah. Yeah. So he had he. He has been, and we did get him into um, a rehab in Newcastle in England, uh, where he spent nearly four months there, and he was doing really well. But we had a loss in our family. Um, a sister of mine, she was only 32, and he was very, very close to her. So he ended up coming back for the funeral and slippery slope from then. Mm. And that was three years ago. Yeah. It's almost impossible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really possible, yeah. yeah. 
uh, he, he, he wants to come off, though. He's told you he wants to come off. Oh, yeah, yeah, he has done. And, and, and this time is, is really, really different than mm. the rest. Right. He's hit rock bottom with the overdoses. Gosh. And it has frightened mm. him. Right. Because he doesn't, he doesn't, I find in him he doesn't want to die, mm. but he just can't continue on with this life. How many times has he overdosed? Uh, twice. He's done it twice now, right. and he did it in within two. He did it twice, two mm. days, right. two in a row. Okay. He's come off heroin now, though. Has he's uh, on a methadone program? Yeah, he's on. He started the methadone program yesterday. Right. Uh, and he's hoping to get in. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. ...to rehab, uh, and he'll be assessed in a couple of weeks? Yeah, he right, he phoned them himself this morning in yeah. Carlo, and they're very, very good. They're, they're, they don't judge or anything. They, you had a good chat with them over the phone. Mm. Uh, I think kind of what I'm looking for is if I could speed things up for him. Yeah. He has to be off heroin for at least two weeks before he can be assessed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um, dire situation. Uh, you're worried out of your mind uh, and you're calling here uh, hoping that somebody would be able to point you in the right direction or if they can help to make contact. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of families struggling with the same um, thing. So maybe somebody has some answers for me. Mm. <sighs> really. 
fast a process to go through or something like that. Yeah. You're at the end of your tether yourself. I am, yeah. And, and today really is a bad day because we lost a little girl in the house fire 23 years ago today. Okay. So he's on the phone to me constantly this morning and, you know, begging for help as well. So it's just tough. Mm. Do you see him often? I do, yeah. I keep in contact with him um, on a daily basis and he phones me. Mm. Um, he's a very caring lad, you know. Mm. Yeah. But, um, I just don't know the answer. Mm. It's very hard to even know what to say uh, because it could be anybody's child and in some respects, I suppose, it's the look of the draw. Uh, it's the hand you're dealt. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Mm. Really tough. Mm. Okay. He, he's on the methadone, so he's willing to come off the heroin. He, he wants yeah. to get clean. and Yeah, he wants a better life for himself. Yeah. As well as his family, because he loves us all, you know. He, mm. He's close to his siblings. Mm. Um, and they just don't want to see him going through this any longer. Mm. So it's a plea from us all, you know. Mm. An awful lot of people upset and worried, uh, for that matter. Uh, yeah. Uh, and how long is he going to have to uh, sleep on the streets now? Well, this, this is the thing. He's, he's suspended for a month out of um, the homeless in Drogheda. Now, they have said mm. um, he went into the council and they have said that he could come back here to the Simon and Dundalk where he has taken the two overdoses, which he doesn't want to come back to Dundalk. Mm. But that seems to be the only answer. But when he phoned yesterday, the, the only bed that's available there is a female bed and they can't give him a female bed. Right. Okay, well, uh, uh, as you say, Anne, if uh, somebody is listening who can point you in the dire uh, right direction, if uh, somebody is listening who's been through this or is going through this and they've yeah. tossed that they'd like to share, um, you'd like to hear from them or if there is somebody who can help for that matter, you'd like to hear from them. Yeah, it would be brilliant if I could get in contact with somebody, mm. yeah. Yeah. This is uh, a last-ditch appeal from your point of view. You've uh, run out of road sort of thing, I take it. Yes, yeah, yeah, mm. really, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure what will come of you deciding to speak on the radio station, but uh, I hope that uh, somebody comes forward who can help if there is somebody who is in a position yeah, to do that. Yeah, anything at all would, you know, some good support, even though. Yeah. Just, yeah, somebody, if I don't really know, just really cry for help. Okay. I think that sums it up best of all. A cry for help. If somebody can help, yeah. maybe they'll contact us. Yeah. Okay, and best of luck to you. Best of luck to your son. Uh, and uh, oh. uh, hopefully uh, he gets sorted out sooner rather than later. That's brilliant. Th thanks very much for your help. Okay. Thank you, Anne. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Really heartbreaking stuff. Can you help? Uh, have you any advice? Have you any thoughts? Have uh, you any experience of uh, this uh, that you can share with Anne? If you can get in touch with us uh, and pass on the message or we can put you in touch with Anne. Uh, but please do if you've any suggestions. Um, she's uh, been 
uh, around the houses with this and uh, really is at the end of her tether. As she said, this is a last-ditch cry for help and if you can help, 0419832000 is our telephone number. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp is on 086 1-800-658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM Now let's speak to Tara McManus who's uh, the Assistant General Secretary of uh, the Garda Representative Association Good morning to you Tara thanks for joining us on uh, the programme Your members spoke overwhelmingly so 99% of those who participated in the vote or thereabouts have no confidence in Drew Harris as the Garda Commissioner. Does it make any difference whatsoever, though? The Garda Commissioner says he will remain in office. He has the support of uh, the Minister. He's uh, the support of Angarda Siakana and uh, the Policing Authority. Morning, Michael. Um, yeah, as you said, they're just short of 99% of our members who voted in this particular ballot have come back and told us that they don't have confidence in the Garda Commissioner. Um, the highest turnout of a ballot that we've ever had. And when you consider, you know, we've balloted our members in the past on important things like pay and terms and conditions. Um, but this is the highest turnout that we've had with almost 84% of our members actually engaging in this ballot. And of those 84 percent, obviously 99% of them do not have um, confidence in the Garda Commissioner. Will it make a difference? We are certainly hoping that it will. We're hoping that in the next two weeks before our special delegate conference that there will be time for everybody involved in this matter to reflect that includes ourselves. But we would also be asking the Commissioner and of course the, the Taoiseach and the Minister for Justice to reflect on what the rank and file members of Angarda Síochána are telling them and what they are saying is that they're fed up that they're frustrated, that they feel that they're not being listened to, they feel their opinions are not being valued. And I mean, some of that was reiterated and again echoed by the Commissioner's own comments yesterday evening. Um, Some of those comments which were quite condescending, I mean, he said perhaps that the guards didn't understand what they were voting for. I mean, you know, that's quite condescending to our members who were very, very clear on what they were voting for. And he also made comments like, which are everything that happens within the GRA is a crisis. So it's clear that the disconnect that we have been talking about is very much alive and well. And, you know, yesterday just showed that that disconnect is very, very real. And we have a Garda commissioner, we have a CEO of the Garda organisation in Ireland that is just not listening and is just completely disconnected from, from the members, the rank and file members of Angarda Síochána who are on the front line. The Minister for Justice told me this morning that she is willing to meet with the Garda representation independently, independently of the other representative associations. Um, but she'll be saying what she said on this programme earlier, sit down and get into negotiations. Well, look, Michael, I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago about that and the fact that that's all that we're looking to do. You know, we are a solution-based organisation and firmly believe that negotiations are the way to address these issues. Um, I'm delighted to hear that the Minister is willing to, to sit down and speak to us. We have been looking for her to sit down and speak to us for quite some time. And up until that, that statement this morning, she hadn't engaged with us. It's also important to point out that it's the Commissioner that actually withdrew from roster negotiations, not the GRA. He withdrew from those roster negoci- negotiations earlier on this year and referred the whole issue of rosters into the WRC, where we always felt that there was still more work that could have been done 
uh, with negotiations. So, I mean, our doors are open. We're more than willing to sit down and, and talk to these people, but they need to engage with us very quickly before our special delegate conference because mm. we meet in two weeks' time and we have nothing to tell our delegates with regards to what has happened in, in, in these two weeks. You know, they're going to call for possibly industrial action. They're going to call for more severe action to be taken with regards to this. And, you know, in order to mm. avoid that, we need to be sitting around the table and we need to be trashing these things out and come up with workable, plausible solutions. OK, I also asked the Minister this morning about industrial action and uh, that if it is decided at your delegate conference or elsewhere... Uh, that some action will be taken, whatever form that takes, uh, whether it's a a go slow or strike action or working to rule or whatever it is, uh, would members of uh, the force be disciplined uh, as a result of taking that action? Uh, Perhaps we can listen now once again to what the Minister had to say in response to that question. Well, what I would say is we're not at that point and all avenues haven't been exhausted. I mean, there has not been engagement with the WRC so while there is other options there to, again, engage internally, now that has gone on for a number of years. And as you said, it has not yielded the results. You know, we don't have a solution here at the moment. But there is a state mechanism that has dealt with some of the most challenging matters in, in decades um, in the history of this state. And solutions have been found. And I, we haven't actually got to that point. So I would not see, I, I don't see why it would get to a situation where people needed to ballot for that type of action when every course of action prior to that had not been exhausted. That is what happens in every other kind of dispute. You know, you don't ever want to get to that point. You want to resolve a matter before it gets to that stage. But that is why the WRC was established. That's why these mechanisms were put in place where you reach a stalemate, where you can't come to a a conclusion together with mediators, with internal processes. We haven't gotten to that point. Right, that's Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice. Uh, Tara McManus of uh, the Garda Representative uh, Association. Uh, what do you make of what the Minister said there, or what she didn't say there for that matter? Because, as I say, the question was if members would be disciplined for taking industrial action. Uh, I, I think uh, that's something that she's reserving judgment on for the moment. Well, look, we would never put our members in a position where we would have them subjected to discipline. I mean, obviously, we're precluded from taking industrial action, such as withdrawing our labour or striking or anything like that. And certainly, you know, our main focus is always to provide a proper and efficient policing service to the public. And, we, you know, we're never going to leave ourselves in a situation where the public are going to be at risk because we have, you know, decided to undertake some action. Okay, but two minutes ago, two minutes ago, you said we may take industrial action. No, I said we would we would have to consider where we would go from there. I mean, we we can't obviously involve ourselves in industrial action like normal trade unions do because we don't have trade union status. Um, So, but all of these issues and all of these possibilities will be debated at our special delegate conference. And I, I would say, you know, we're possibly looking at days of action as opposed to industrial action but I mean we have absolutely no idea at this stage what that sort of action would actually involve but obviously the main thing here to focus on is that as as a representative association we don't want to find ourselves in that situation either because I would agree with the Minister in that we firmly believe that negotiating and actually resolving these issues is the way to do this and that's how we want to do our job. We certainly don't want to be putting our members in a position where they are subject to discipline because they've, they've taken on an action or you know anything like that and that's not what we're about so I mean 
you know, I, th- I think we're still a good bit away from that. And certainly we would be keen to sit, sit down with the minister and, you know, trash these things out. Are you willing to go into the WRC and enter talks? Well, as I said, look, the roster issue has been already um, put put towards the WRC and has been referred into the WRC. And we would have always felt that there were more there were more conversations that could have been had. We've actually proposed our own roster uh, and we believe the roster that we have proposed addresses the issues that our members mm. have, but it also addresses the issues that the commissioner would have in relation to, you know, how many people sure, are working sure, at Sure, but I mean, the fact of it is, is the commissioner said no and therein lies the stalemate. Well, it's not even that he said no. He wouldn't even consider our roster. Okay. So, you know... But therein therein lies the stalemate. Well, the stalemate lies in that he's just not willing to negotiate with us. He's not willing to sit down and address Mm. the issues that we have. You know, yesterday... But as the Minister said, that's the purpose of the WRC, where they mediate and adjudicate. Yeah, they mediate and they adjudicate, but we would say, you know... We would be the experts around the table and we would have experts within our own association who can work out these rosters, who know where the peaks are and where the troughs are in relation to where the demand is and things like that. So the expertise is already here, not even within the WRC. The expertise is contained within the experts that we have within the GRA. So we would say we are best placed to come up with possibilities. We are best placed to negotiate where our members need to go in relation to the rosters. But as I said, rosters is one of several issues. It's not the main issue, but it's one of several issues that we currently have that's mm. just not being addressed at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a long list of issues. If the roster issue is resolved and the recruitment issue isn't resolved or the issue with suspensions or the other uh, items uh, that you have on this very long list of gripes, uh, will that be enough uh, for uh, return to harmony, uh, industrial harmony? Well, look, all we want to do is go out and police in a safe environment to provide the public with the policing service that it requires and it needs. But we're just being prevented at every single corner from doing that at the moment mm. in relation to recruitment and retention crisis, in relation to the lack of appropriate training, the welfare and well-being of our members, you know, the suspension policies, mm. all these new bureaucratic systems that are brought in. These are just all causing problems after problems for us. The Minister says it's personal. The, the, the Minister said it's personal against Drew Harris. Uh, and I suppose to some degree um, that's right, uh, depending on, on how uh, you interpret that. Uh, but is it possible? I mean, you've usurped the authority. You've undermined the authority uh, of Drew Harris. Is it possible in your mind for Drew Harris to continue as commissioner? Well, look, that's not something that I'm going to answer today. Um, it's not something that we are in a position or are willing to kind of comment on right now. That's something that can only and will only be discussed at our special delegate conference. So we will kind of hold hold our, our comments on, on that just for the time being. So it's not necessarily about resolving the issues because you've had so much trouble with this individual, Drew Harris, the Garda Commissioner. Uh, it may be a question of replacing the man and resolving the issues. Well, look, Drew Harris is the CEO of Angarda Siakona and, you know, all of these issues have, you know, become issues since he took over from Angarda Siakona a, a number of years ago. And, you know, a lot of these issues are getting worse. They're not getting better. Our resignations are up at 96 
So, you know, we're on track to exceed the number of resignations we had last year. You know, we haven't seen resignations like this ever in the history of Angarda Síochána. We haven't seen morale where it is. I mean, I'm 25 years in Angarda Síochána and, you know, worked through blue flus and worked through issues in relation to pay and everything all down through the years. And honestly, I have never experienced the low levels of morale that we are currently, you know, seeing around the country. I mean, people are so frustrated. They're so, you know, just not content with their work environments, with their working systems, with the terms and conditions. People are just absolutely peed off at this stage with regards to, to how things are going in Angarda Síochána. And I mean, you know, there needs to be a change. There needs to be an appetite to address these issues. And until they're addressed, I can't see how we're going to move on. Okay. And you're not going to answer if the issues are addressed, uh, if Drew Harris can remain in this position uh, or if uh, he's fit for the job. Well, look, that, you know, Minister, or sorry, Commissioner Harris is appointed to Angarda Síochána by, by the government. Um, so, you know, it's not an issue for the GRA as to whether he is or isn't suitable for his particular position. But look, we just want to resolve, the mem- you know, our members are our main concern. They okay. are our main concern and they have given us a very very strong mandate yesterday in relation to how they feel about the way things are going at the moment. Okay, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Tara McManus is the Assistant General Secretary of the Garda Representative Association. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now we'll go to Maynooth in County Kildare where members of the Labour Party Parliamentary Party are meeting for the party's annual Think In. We're joined by Senator Mark Wall. Uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. This is the opportunity uh, in advance of uh, the Dáil and uh, the Shannon resuming business next week for the party to meet uh, and gather thoughts after the summer recess. Uh, Am I right in thinking that the focus in Maynooth today will be on housing? Yeah, it'll be probably one of the major issues that we will be discussing, Michael. We're obviously, as you say, meeting to discuss priorities for uh, the forthcoming Oireachtas term and obviously then to plan for local elections next year and then obviously eventually then the the, uh, general elections. But one of the biggest priorities that we will have and and discussing uh, will be housing and, and what's going on and what's definitely not going on in housing in this country, Michael. All right, uh, and I'm sure that will be very much on uh, the agenda when uh, business resumes next week in uh, the Oireachtas. The government will, as always, argue that they're throwing everything at it, uh, but they will also be making the point this time round that they're starting to see progress. Well, when when you hear a figure, Michael, that we heard this week in relation to the vacant housing, 3,500 in the state and over 60 in Loud alone, then that's not progress. That that is actually disgrace, and that's so that's what need. We're, that's where we need our action, and that's where to put our action. That's where government need to put their actions. There's too much red tape in relation to vacant council homes, and the, ha- the fact that we have three and a half thousand over six months is totally and utterly unacceptable when we have so many on waiting lists throughout every uh, county in in this country. So. Priorities have got to be given to fixable problems and, uh, and definitely a council vacant homes has got to be a priority and they can get families and, and back into family homes. So that's, that's a quick fix in relation to housing that, that should be followed up in the quickest possible time, not allowing 3,500 vacant homes in this country. All right, uh, your meeting today 
uh, as uh, a number of crises uh, develop in relation to policing and uh, that no confidence vote yesterday by the GRA in uh, the Guard Commissioner Drew Harris. Uh, it's uh, a crisis for Drew Harris, no doubt. It's a, a crisis in policing. It's also a political crisis and potentially a crisis for the Minister. What are, are, are the thoughts in the Labour Party about this? Well, we can't ignore a 99% vote in a no-confidence vote. Uh, Michael, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And what the Labour Party are asking is that both sides quickly and very quickly get around the table to discuss the issues in relation to rostering, which seems to be the biggest issue at the moment. And we need our guardie on the streets. We need them in our communities. We all know that. You've been reporting that, I'm sure, on your show. Uh, I've seen it in my local communities as well. So we have to ensure that confidence comes back into the Garda Shiakana. It's at a very low ebb at the moment. And we in the Labour Party are asking to get back around the table as quickly as possible. And I think that's what everybody should be encouraging to, to happen at this time. We just can't have a situation where one side is, is pitching themselves against another side. And that seems to have happened. And, you know, when you see the no confidence vote, the only solution to that, in our opinion, is to get around the table in the quickest possible time. So politically, you're lining up with Minister McEntee? Well, look, in fairness, I'll say we can't ignore the rank-and-file uh, guardie, and that, that's something that we've always supported as well. But at the end of the day, we need to trash out the problems that are there at the moment. And there is no doubt that the rosters are causing a fierce problem for those rank-and-file guardie. Mm. And the only way that we can get a solution to that is get around the table. And that's what we would encourage everybody to do. And I think if we can do that, then there can be solutions found. Obviously, we need to recruit more guardie. We've had mm. promises from this government mm. in relation to that those promises haven't come to fruition and we need to address the pay and recruitment crisis you know as well that the GRA have stated so there's a number of issues there but we need to support the well, GRA there's a long list of issues I mean I think I think you've only touched on the surface there because uh, the Gardaí are very very uh, disturbed by what's been happening under the stewardship of Drew Harris and speaking to the GRA just a, a couple of minutes a, a ago, yeah. uh, although they wouldn't say it, uh, it it's uh, fairly obvious that there's a question over Drew Harris regardless of whether these issues are resolved because the problems occurred under his leadership uh, and they may wish for him to go regardless. How would you feel if that was the case? Well, that's, uh, that's an issue that GR may or may not call for. Said. What we need to see at the moment is we need to see dialogue in relation to Garda management and the issues that are there. And, and Drew Harris has his remit in relation to the Garda, Garda management, but senior Garda management need to get around the table with the GRA urgently. When you get a vote like 99%, you cannot ignore it. And I said that at the start of our conversation, Michael. So we have to address the problems. And the only way that they're going to be addressed is senior Garda management getting around the table with the GRA and making sure that those problems are ironed out as quickly as possible for all our benefits because we continue to see the problems in our communities in relation to the lack of Gardaí and the problems that we're having in crime right throughout rural and both urban areas in this in this state at the moment. I presume the Labour Party will also be discussing uh, the problems at RTE uh, and uh, indeed uh, the big deficit uh, that is inevitable at this stage. Uh, will the Labour Party support the government bailing out RTE to the tune of £55 million or whatever it turns out to be? 
Well, we have to see what's happening again in RTE. We didn't get answers yesterday. Our own representative, Senator Marie uh, Sherlock, asked a number of questions. Michael, we're not happy with the answers. We're told that Kevin Backhorst is coming back again with a report. We need to see that quickly because at the end of the day, we're hearing about RTE employees around 23 and 24,000 euros. We're hearing about those that don't have a permanent contract. Those are the ones that the Labour Party are most worried about. Mm. We need to see security for employment for those people. You know, and we need to see what Kevin Backhorst is doing in relation to that and we need to secure those employment and give those people permanent contracts. Some of those people on those temporary contracts have been there for 10 plus years and that's not acceptable yeah. in any modern workforce. But would you be concerned at how RTA has issued a statement uh, this morning, a very long statement by the way, defending its uh, decision to spend 240,000 uh, on a photographer who would be taking a, a minimum of 16 still photos on uh, the set of Fair City, uh, something that could be done digitally uh, without spending a penny, many would argue. Absolutely. It's, it's indefensible what they have, that, that type of stuff. And I know that, that that's what a number of the public rev- representatives said yesterday at, at the committee, uh, Michael, and I would, would support those calls. There's no need for that in the modern age where you say we've digital photography, etc., that that can be done. And these are the excesses that need to be addressed by the RTE management very, very quickly because if they're looking for, for money from government, and it is a government decision, but from an opposition point of view, these are the excesses that need to be addressed. We need to get confidence back in a public broadcaster. We totally support public broadcasting, but confidence has got to come back. And these excesses need to be addressed very quickly, in our opinion. Can I ask you about the National Lottery? Uh, you brought forward in recent weeks legislation uh, that would ban advertising uh, for all gambling. Uh, the yeah. National Lottery uh, has been fined €150,000 for failing to protect problem gamblers. Uh, what do you make of that? Not acceptable, Michael, and, and, and apologies over. I, I missed a call from you about a week ago in relation to this, and, and uh, you know, thank you for bringing it up. Um, it's not acceptable from the National Lottery that they're not protecting those that, that, that uh, play with them, as, as, as they call it. Um, we, we are looking at the, the legislation coming in in relation to uh, you know, gambling, as uh, per se, and that's long overdue, and I welcome that, and that can't come quick enough. Unfortunately, that legislation will not cover the National Lottery, mm. and it's something that we do need to look at once the gambling regulation bill is actually enacted. We need now, then after that, need to look at the National Lottery. In fairness to the lottery, they have some uh, preventions in place, you know, in relation to credit card betting, etc., that they have there. But the fact that they were fined is a worry. There is absolutely no doubt about mm. that. And it's something that I will be looking at once we look at the gambling regulation going through. As you say, uh, you'll be meeting and... Uh sharing ideas uh, about an awful lot of uh, things in Minute. Uh, um, you'll be looking at uh, the local and European elections, the next general election, uh, I'm sure. Will you be looking at the leadership at all? You have a, a relatively new leader under Ivana Bakic, uh, but um, yeah, Labour Party c- continues to languish in the polls. No, I think we have an absolutely great great leader there at the moment, uh, Michael. We, we've got to remember that there's been one election since the, this government was formed in 2020, and that election was actually the victory of Ivana Bacic. So the polls are telling us one thing. You know, we're on the grounds local, in our local communities with our local area reps, our local councillors and Deputy Jed Nash in your own area. We're working hard within our communities mm. to ensure that we get those votes that will return the maximum number well, of I'd say there's a question over that seat and quite a, I'd say there's a question over that seat and quite a, a number of seats. Uh, does that come down to the leadership and if it does, why is there not a question over the leadership? Surely there should have been a boost. Well, at, at the end of the day, you know, with the Labour Party are where we are. We've come out of very uh, hard, uh, you know, last government. We were building up again. Uh, you know, we have had a change of leader. That will take time. We believe that Ivana Bacic is the best leader that we have at the moment. I've seen her on the ground. 
when she's out in her community, she, she, she gets a great reaction. I think that needs to happen a lot more and that will happen over the coming months and weeks as we lead up to the next general election. And I think people will be surprised by the Labour Party, uh, you know, vote that will happen in the local elections and then be the next general election. And I think we will confound a number of the polls. And that's my honest belief, Michael, because we are working on the ground and that's what we will intend to do under the leadership of Ivana Bacic. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed. I'm sure we'll be hearing much more from your thinking over the course of uh, the day. And thank you indeed for joining us on thank the programme uh, this morning. That's Labour Party Senator Mark Wall. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. A text from somebody who says they just heard the end of Anne's story. This is Anne who was telling us about her young son, 26 years of age, addicted to heroin, now on methadone, trying to get into rehab, homeless, sleeping on the streets and worried out of her mind. Uh, It was a, a cry for help. Our caller says, I just heard the, end of Anne, I heard the end of Anne's story. There is a support group that runs every week in Drogheda for family members suffering with loved ones in addiction. It is an amazing support group and she herself would benefit greatly from this. It's every Thursday at 7 o'clock in uh, the stables. It's run by the Family Addiction Support Network and I'd be grateful if you pass this on to her. We certainly will because Anne was just asking for any suggestions or any ideas or anybody uh, who's had a similar experience to share their thoughts with her. She doesn't know where to turn at this uh, at this stage. Um, somebody else texted in and asked uh, about that young man and if his mother Anne, could not take him in. Uh, our caller said, there's no way I'd let my dog sleep outside. Sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but uh, wouldn't a floor in the sitting room be better than the streets? It, it certainly would. But I think we got the answer to that uh, very clearly. Uh, And, you know, we talk about drugs, people being addicted to drugs, the feuds, the gangs, the petrol bombs, the tax, the intimidation, all that stuff. Uh, And sometimes it's meaningless. Uh, But this morning it was very meaningful because we heard firsthand from somebody who's in the middle of it all. Uh, and I don't know, caller, if you heard all of Anne's story, but Anne has six children uh, and we're talking about one uh, who's gone astray. Uh, but she has five other children who she's trying to protect from the drugs. But not only that, she, she's frightened out of her mind what would happen if he came back into the house with the dealers. And would they burn her house down or attack her or one of her children or what would happen? It's a very sinister world. Uh, Thank you, though, uh, for that uh, and um, for getting in touch. Um, We had somebody else uh, about that as well, uh, saying uh, to get in touch with Quinn Wirra in a thigh. Uh, Alice, thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, I I think Anne is uh, aware of that, but we'll pass that on just to be sure. Um, Thank you, as I say, for your message. Uh, Some other uh, messages coming to us. Um, We need to get real in Drogheda, says Joe. Um, We have a lot of money that is being wasted uh, and uh, RTE um, can spend what they will. Um, We had somebody else then who said Drew Harris should never have been appointed as the Garda Commissioner in the first place. He joined the RUC in 1984 um, and who we know, the RUC, we know were the most discredited police force in Europe and we all know that 
Harris is a dead duck and McEntee will be in the same boat if she doesn't support the rank and file guard That's uh, Paddy Duffy. Uh, thanks uh, for that. Um, we'd Anya in our D texting us today as well. And she says, um, well, she asks if the TV licence has been abolished. She says, I always paid it, but I don't know if I will this year. Thanks, Anya, for that. Another couple of messages that have um, come to us about Anne. Um, somebody says, God help that poor woman with her, her son. I have a brother who's an alcoholic and takes what I call wacky backy. My wife and myself do all that we can for him. My wife put in for carers for him, but she was refused. The reason they gave was that he's not on medication uh, and the doctor won't give him medication because of his addiction. Can you help me or advise me, please? Uh, we'll put the same uh, call out as we did for Anne on that. Uh, and maybe uh, that family support group in Drogheda would be a good place to start. Fasten, the family addiction support network uh, that runs that, uh, has a lot of great services uh, that perhaps would be of interest to you. I think that's why it was recommended in the Gearing report that they'd be given more funding and on um, an annual basis uh, core funding uh, but that never happened in fact uh, it went to Merchants Key uh, but Fasten are a fantastic organisation and they're endorsed by so many people uh, including um, the outgoing Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan who still works voluntarily for them um, we'd another text about Anne's story and Anne's son Somebody said, I was listening to that poor mother talking about her son and I just can't understand how he started using drugs at 12. And there's a lot of question marks. Very sad. I hope he gets the help that he needs very soon. Thank you for that. Um, I suppose it's the hand you're dealt, isn't it? And uh, if you're not dealt that hand, it's there but for the grace of God. Um, Jack in touch with us today and he says why is there so much talk about RTE sure uh, it is a problem that needs to be sorted but we have a bigger problem in this country with the HSE who are wasting more in a minute than RTE would ever spend when uh, the finance minister was asked recently how much the health board would cost this year he said he didn't know call in the HSE and give them a grilling uh, the same way that they're giving RTE a grilling, says Jack. Well, thanks uh, for that. Uh, it is the Department of Overspend, and I don't think uh, anybody can argue with that. Uh, thanks for your message, Jack. An email from Tony in County Louth. Uh, long email. I'll just uh, read some of it for you. He says, once again, our so-called disciplined guard of force have disgraced themselves and the uniform with this unprecedented insubordination and serious bullying tactic to retain a temporary roster that was introduced to help their family lives during COVID. The man wants nothing more than to return to an official roster that was brought, bought and paid for and he sees as uh, the correct and required mode of operation again. Will they return the money given for this industrial relations agreement? And make no mistake, this is for their own personal preference, not for the good of the public service, prompted by laziness, which is at the root of the whole problem in the force when special occasions like a presidential visit or a flat takes place, both of which never result in trouble. They can be witnessed going around in groups of three or four when there's overtime to be gained and absolutely 
absolutely no problem with numbers or resources. It seems the only time that they cannot do their job properly is when they're only on flat normal time. Thanks uh, indeed. Uh, Tony goes on to talk more about what he calls insubordination. Uh, but uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, except to say that uh, when the Gardaí are policing events like the FLA or the presidential visits or whatever, um, they're deployed there. Uh, and that's a decision that is made by the Garda Commissioner. Uh, we'll go back to RTE uh, and we'll hear just uh, some more of the exchanges uh, that took place at the Oireachtas Committee yesterday. Do you accept that RTE has lost the confidence of the public to the tune of 21 million by year end in licence fee renewals? Do you accept that you're on the verge of bankruptcy, that you're, you know, could very easily go bust, that you're in a perilous financial situation. And yet, when you responded earlier to the the 10%, you had said, um, to be fair to the executive board, that they had taken a pay cut. Now, that, to me, doesn't show new broom leadership. I mean, you're you're on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. You've lost total confidence of the public to the tune of 21 million in funding through licence fees. And yet, there's nothing going to be done about executives on scandalous salaries helping themselves to a 10% increase. And all the while, RTE crying poverty. And you had said earlier about um, freeze on recruitment, all that sort of thing. That's the kind of lavish expenditure where people are paid salaries beyond most people's imagination even, mm-hmm. and yet there's nothing to be done about it. No, I, I don't accept many of your premises, Deputy. We're not on the verge of bankruptcy. I made that crystal clear. We are having to manage our cash extremely carefully, but we're not on the verge of bankruptcy, and I wouldn't be able to run the organisation um, under uh, under my statutory responsibilities if I, if I thought we were, and we're not. Um, I would also say that we have lost 21 million in licence fee payments, or, or are projected to by the end of the year. It's very disappointing. I'm doing everything I can. Would you I say can. you're in a perilous financial situation? We are in an extremely yeah. challenging financial yeah. situation. Yeah. We are. Uh, yeah. yeah. Crystal well, that's clear that's about what that. I said. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. no, you said we were facing bankruptcy. Yeah. It's a difference. If it continues in the spiral that it's going on and yeah, don't well, restore, it, it's could well be a possibility. Well, we don't know what, what level of licence fees are going to be and we don't know what's going to happen about funding, which is why we're in proper measured negotiations about it. All right, Captain Backhurst, Director General, responding to Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster. Not too concerned. Uh, maybe there's money somewhere that the government can give to RTE to bail them out. Uh, if the government does that, um, somebody's going to have to give it to the government. I take it that's you and me, or else we'll pay our television licence, or else we'll pay our television licence and give money to the government to give to RTE. That would solve the problem. I think that's what RTE is expecting. Anyway, that's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie